Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Romans chapter 6 this morning. question for you is, do you know who you are? It is, yeah, indeed. It is an absurd thought, but sometimes the reality is we who call ourselves Christians choose to be captive to sin and live in that sin rather than in the freedom that we have in Christ. Thus far in Romans through five chapters, Paul has written about or wrote about the need for and the foundation of justification before God. In chapter 6, Paul turns his eye back to the power of the gospel to change lives. He's never really turned away from that. He's been talking about faith as the foundation of justification, but now he looks to the gospel and he brings out the gospel again to change lives. It is the theme of this letter. If you'll remember from chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to remember that the gospel of Christ delivers you from sin. And it is also for living in holiness and growing in Christ's likeness. Here's what Paul has to say in the sixth chapter, starting in verse 1. I'll read down to verse 14. Let me start in chapter 5, verse 20. It's not going to be on the screen, so you've got to have your Bible. Psych. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Question, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin." For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray together. Father, teach us, is our prayer today, what we do not know, that you would speak through your servant, that you would open our hearts to hear your word and what Paul is saying to us, and what you instructed him to teach the Roman church, and what you have instructed us to hear today, some 2,000 years later. It is still true, it is still vibrant, it is still relevant. I pray your word, your spirit with us this morning would bring life change to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The big question that Paul presented there in verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the big question. Do we continue to sin? The question presented by Paul is one used by Paul in other places, and he frequently does this as he writes his letters. He's anticipating an objection by the church as they're reading it and then replying to it before they ever get to write a reply letter uh, to him. So in anticipation of their objection or their question, what about sin? Do we continue to read in sin? If you go back to chapter 5, you might be contempted to conclude that sin is not that big of a deal. Because grace covers sin so, so much that as sinners we need not worry. Specifically what we read in verse 20. Here it is again. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the way I tried to think through this this week was rationalizing it in my mind, which always leads back to food or sports. It's going to be one of the two. I'm sorry. I exercised for two hours today. I burned 1,500 calories, so says my watch. So I'm going to eat three bowls of banana pudding, half a chocolate pie, and to top it off, a large cookie dough blizzard from Dairy Queen. And so that mama knows I had my vegetables today, I'm going to top it off, uh, throw in, maybe before all of that indulgence, uh, some chips and green sauce from Las Camales so I get my vegetable serving. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I'll drink water instead of soda. Does that make it better for you? It's like saying, because of grace, I'll continue in my sin, right? Because I did so much over here, I'm going to go back and do this over here, right? It's covered already, right? He'll just forgive me anyway. That's Paul's question and the objection. Do we continue to sin? I mean, if God really loves me that much, as far as the east is from the west, why not give him more opportunity to show me? Instead of just east and west, let's go north and south. Let's throw that one in. I'll continue in sin so that grace will increase. And what Paul is saying here is, friend, you've come to a false conclusion. You've come to a misunderstanding of the gospel of Christ and what grace is. That kind of hard attitude shows that if that's 
the truth you're holding on to and you're living in and living out of, then your grasp of the gospel and of grace is a suppression of the truth. We looked at that last week in the suppression of the truth. In Romans chapter three, verse eight, Paul said, and why not do evil that good may come? I like the way the Phillips translation, J.B. Phillips did a translation of his own. It's good in some places and not so much in others, but here I think it's appropriate. J.B. Phillips translated this as, verse one, he says, now what is our response? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? So shall we sin to our heart's content? How far can I go before I get into trouble by exploiting the grace of God? We want to know where those boundaries are. Always, like kids, always push the boundaries of the, of the, the rules you've set in place in your home. You remember that as a parent. How far can I go? But if that's where you are, you need to hit the brakes. Don't hit the accelerator because the light's changing to red. Hit the brakes and stop because you're about to crash. The simple answer that Paul gives us is by no means. Here's what that means. No way, Jose. Don't do it. The simple answer is no way. Absolutely not. He emphatically, without qualification, says no his answer is based on the truth that believers in Christ are crucified to sin. In Christ, we have died to sin. Write this down. The point of the gospel, the point of the gospel is not to invent excuses to sin, but to offer freedom from sin. The point of the gospel is not to invent excuses to sin but to offer freedom from sin. Galatians chapter two, verse 20, Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, I have been crucified with Christ. This is his personal testimony. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the, uh, excuse me, and the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. On that basis, Paul said that believers in Christ have died to sin. That is true. And it's absolutely absurd, absurd to consider that someone who died to sin would still live in it. And what that means is that if you're still wanting to and living in sin, that you are living a life under the lordship of your flesh and not under the lordship of Christ. That's a tough text this morning. It's glorious in the end, but it's tough to get through verse 1 and verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Just think on that for a moment. So do we continue to sin? Are we to continue to live under the lordship of sin in the flesh? Paul says, no. Church, you have been freed. You have died to sin because you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are free from that. I love the way the message paraphrase uh, uh, writes this out. He says to the question, are we, uh, are we to continue in sin? And Peterson wrote it this way. I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? 
I found Timothy Keller very helpful here when he wrote, uh, he wrote a, a commentary on Romans. It's uh, super helpful, but he talks about dying to sin. He gives five examples, five things that Paul uh, does not mean when he says dying to sin. And I think these are going to be up on the screen for you, and they're probably already in your notes. But it's crucial that we, that we get this down, okay? We died to sin. And understanding what Paul does mean it's helpful to see what he does not mean. The first one is this, that he died to sin means we no longer want to sin. Sin has no more power or influence over us. That's not what Paul means, all right? It means that we, if that, if, if, if that was true, if what Paul means by dying to sin means that we no longer want to sin, he wouldn't have written verses 12, 13, and 14, okay? But as a Christian, if a Christian doesn't want to sin, why urge him or her not to? All right. Chapter 17, verse 18 also shows that a Christian still has sinful desires. Do you know chapter 7? If you're reading along through the annual reading this year, you'll come upon it this week. Maybe you've already come on it if you're a week ahead. But this is the great chapter where Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do or want to do, but I do, I'm doing all these things that I don't want to do. It just on and on and on. And he's still showing his personal struggle with this. He too is growing in holiness and in Christ likeness. The second thing that it does not mean is that died to sin means we no longer ought to sin. Sin is now inappropriate for the Christian. While that is true, it is inappropriate for us. The first interpretation, meaning sin has no more power to influence over us and we no longer want to sin, goes too far. This one doesn't go far enough. Paul says we died, not we ought to die. Pretty clear. We died, not we ought to die. The third one, died to sin means we are slowly moving away from sin. Sin is weakening in us. The problem there is the term dead. Paul uses that word, dead, it means something stronger than it's just weakening in us. The Greek tense used on that verb refers to a single, past, once and done action. Paul is not talking about a continual process of weakening. He says we died once and for all to sin when we came to Christ. The fourth thing it cannot be, it cannot mean that we have renounced sin at some moment, such as at our baptism, that we disavowed sinful behavior. That is a good thing to do, but it's unlikely that that's what Paul is talking about because as verses three through five explain, when we'll get there in just a moment, that his death is the result of our union with Christ. It is the result of something done to us, not something we have done. We died to sin because we are united with Christ in his death. We have not done that on our own. We don't unite with Christ. He united with us. He came for us. Died to sin, vith Died to sin cannot mean that we are no longer guilty of sin. Our sins cannot condemn us, for they are pardoned in Christ. That's not what Paul means. This is true. He has died to pardon our sins. 
We have pardon. We are not guilty of our sin. But that's not what Paul is talking about in this moment. He needs to explain why, right? Why are we no longer guilty of sin? We seek to live without sin. Why does the gospel make any difference to us and the way that we live? He is, he is not just restating the truth that we are pardoned in Christ. That's not what he's saying. He is stating this is how the gospel has done it. This is how God has used his grace and provided for us in his grace through Christ. So what does he mean? That's the rest of what we're going to do this morning is find out what does it mean that we have died to sin. And it is in a nutshell that the moment you have come to Christ, the moment you trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, the moment that you put all of your eggs in his basket, that you are no longer under the reign or the ruling power of sin in your life. There is a fresh new power at work in you when you come to Christ. It is a refreshing, it is a renewing power that rules over our lives. This is the beauty of Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We serve a new king. We serve a new master. We have a gracious and merciful Lord who is ruling over us now. So dying to sin does not mean that sin is no longer within you, because you're still going to struggle, or that sin has no more power or influence within you. It does, but sin no longer can dictate to you. It is not your master. Do you remember Romans chapter 1 last week, when God handed us over to our depravity, handed us over to the desires of our heart? There, sin is the master. Verses 18 through 32, in that place, sin is ruling in the lives of those who are depraved, which is all of us. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Sin is the master. You want to know what it is to live with sin as your master? Read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. But the fact remains that we no longer have to obey sin when we are in Christ. So how do we die to sin? Look at verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How do we die to sin? Well, we look at it first as our baptism with Christ. Because we are buried with Christ, we are united with Christ. I like this again in the um, message, paraphrase. He said this, he says, didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we were lowered into the water, it was like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. I try to illustrate it this way. When my twins were toddlers, I can remember having one at times, one on each foot. Because that's what you do when you have twins. If you just have one, you've got one kid standing on your feet. When you got twins, you got two kids 
four feet standing on your two feet, and you're trying to go with them at the same time. You remember that game, right? If you've had little ones, you, you walk around, and they're going where you're going, right? They're not moving in their own power. They're holding on. They're clinging, but they're going wherever you're going. They were walking and moving because I was, and I think that's the essence of what Paul continued to offer to the wrong conclusion of living in sin. Union with Christ is not compatible with living in sin. My children standing on my feet, if they try to go a different direction that I'm going, they're going to fall off. They're going to fall. They're not going to go where I'm going. And yet other children in my home at times, they're they're not standing on my feet any longer. They try to sit on my feet and keep me from moving. Or, you know, and I'll bust through that hold, and so then I'm dragging them along. You know, that's some of us, too. We're just holding on to Jesus, say, wait a minute. I want you, but I want my sin, too. And so we're just dragging, he's just dragging us along. We aren't being led to stay and live in our sin by the Savior. Jesus will not lead you to live and stay in your sin. The Savior who died to take the wrath of God for our sin, he will not lead you into that sin. Baptism. We are familiar with the mode here. The mode he's talking about is being immersed, submerged into Jesus. But the imagery here is one of death. Paul is looking at that spiritual reality for us to help us understand how we are united with Christ. So believing in Christ, you then share, you are baptized into him and baptized into his death. As he died, we died to our old sinful self. When does that happen? At the moment of, at the moment of belief, at the moment of trust, at the moment of conversion. The truth is that the saving faith in Christ brings with it an inner transformation that begins at the moment of conversion when we trust Jesus for the very first time. And that transformation begins with a death sentence to the former way of life, the former attitudes, the former convictions that we lived with leading to sinful behavior. Friends, Jesus took on the deadly baptism at the cross to save sinners. And now when sinners come to him, they take that on through faith that the death of the sin-stained, tainted former way of life is now gone. And the good news is that Jesus didn't stay dead. It's not just a message about death, but just as Christ was raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, not only are we baptized into his death and joined with him in that, and the old man is gone, but now we are also raised to walk in a new life. Again, the message, that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Death to the old man. Raised to walk in a new life. Not to go back under and try to raise up the old dead man again. He, he gone. As my son Ben says, he did. <laughs> Don't go back and try to breathe life into him. 
You've been raised to walk in a new life. This is the glory of the gospel. No wonder Paul says, by no means, how can we who live go back to sin? How how is that possible? We are raised to walk in a new life. We also see in this, our union with Christ in his death, that we are united there into the likeness of Christ. Old me, new me. That's what you see in verses 5 through 11. Verse 5, there is a very hard truth to hear. For if we have been united with him in, his, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. But here's the hard truth. If you've not died with Christ, you'll not live with Christ. You've got to die in order to live. Just like Jesus had to die so that we could live The old man is crucified. There's one more truth you should know. Old me, new me. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, 7, 8, 9, there's there's a couple of words. We know or we believe. You need to circle those. Every time you hear Paul say, we know or we believe, he's talking about a, a central truth to the faith. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is why we must die. Because we know that our old self is crucified. The body of sin is nullified. The power of sin is trumped by the greater power of Christ who's conquered sin and death. Before, God turned us over to the sinful desires of our heart. That's Romans chapter 1. But his counter to that is Jesus Christ, the gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. We cannot overcome the situation that we talked about last week in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, in our own power. There is nothing in us, nothing this world offers that can pull us out of the depravity of our sin into life with the Father. But God has made a way through Jesus Christ. Verse 6 provides the reason we consider ourselves crucified with Christ. Verse six, uh, first part of verse 6, that's the premise. The old man was crucified with Christ. The purpose is to render the sinful body ineffective. The result is to stop serving sin. And the truth is verse 7. Death declares righteous from sin. Look at verse 7. One who has died has been set free from sin. Death declares righteousness and set free from the old sin. The old depraved sinner now saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, united with Christ in his death, raised to new life through the resurrection, now with access to the greater power of Christ who has overcome sin and death. We do not have to live with sin as our master. But outside of Christ, you should know that sin is the master. In Christ, he is Lord. Christ's death and his life are a new paradigm for us. Verses 8, 9, and 10. We believe that we know the power of the resurrection of Christ is true. And it is a triumphant moment. And it will be so for us when we are in Christ. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. There's a finality to it. 
his death. Death no longer rules Christ. And if we are in Christ, death will not rule us. Yes, we will still find physical death unless Christ returns, but that is not the end. Christ died to sin and he lives to God in verse 10. He died to sin, but he lives for God. He died once and for all, but today he is alive. Once and for all, complete, lacking nothing. Death is in his past life and is in his future. Our future in him is certain. Therefore, here comes the command in verse 11. It's the second, only the second command in all of Romans. There, there will be more to come, but up to this point, there's been only two. This is the second one. Here's the command. Verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. We are transformed to live with Christ. We are transformed to live with Christ. The union with Christ by grace through faith is absolutely vital. He says this, so you must you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the command. You must consider is the command. You must consider yourselves. In the same way you look upon yourselves as dead to the appeal and the power of sin, but alive and sensitive to the call of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. From now on, the message says, Think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother language, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Count yourself. Reckon it. It's an accounting phrase. Oh, that brings chills to my bones. I had to have tutoring to get to, uh, through accounting, but I understand that word. Reckon Count it, regard it from this particular vantage point, from this perspective. This is the truth. Christ died to sin and has risen from, uh, uh, from death to unending life with God. So we too must consider ourselves through Christ, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What Christ did is given us the foundation, the identity, and the, and the foundation for transformed living. Transformation looks like this. In verses 12, 13, and 14, defiance to sin's claim to reign in our physical bodies of everyday life. Paul says, don't present your, yourself as a tool for sin, as tools for unrighteousness. Rather than presenting yourself for sin, present yourself to God. Your head, your heart, your hands, your feet, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice which Paul will get to in Romans chapter 12. Sorry, I jumped the gun a little bit to next week. But in response this morning, as we are called to live in Christ and be free from sin, I believe it is important to use this time to ask a couple of very important questions for you to ask yourself and the Lord some very important questions to do some soul searching this morning and to actually ask the Lord to do that for you out of Psalm chapter 139. Here's what David prayed. Search me, O God. Now, you need to be careful there. If you don't want him looking into your heart, I mean, he already knows, but you're opening yourself up to it. You be careful. He'll show you. And then it's your responsibility to confess, repent, turn away from it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, sinful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's the first question I want you to ask yourself as we go into a time of prayer. This is our time of response. Just, I'm gonna guide you through it this morning. 
just like we did a while ago in our corporate prayer time. So every head bowed, every eye closed. We hear the call of Scripture to live in this new life that Christ has given to us, has died for, he's paid for, now lives for. So the first question I want you to go to the Father about this morning is this. Is there, is there a controlling sin in my life that I commit willingly because I am counting on God's grace to forgive me? Is there a, sometimes we call that a habitual sin. It's become such a habit you don't even think of it anymore. But when you face the temptation to commit that sin, you do so and you follow through committing that sin, counting on the grace of God to forgive you. That is a controlling sin. Second question. Have I been baptized as a believer in Christ? There is an important aspect to baptism. And it's not the mode, but it's the timing. Paul is writing to people who are Christians, already trusting in Christ, and he's talking about baptism after they've trusted in Christ, not before. So, that's an important question. Have I been baptized as a believer in Christ? If the answer is yes, we praise God for that. What a testimony that is. If the answer is no, I want you to seek the Lord in his word. And if you have questions about it, come find me. I'd love to talk to you about believer's baptism. Third question, do I rest in faith alone? in Christ alone as the cause of having a life free from the control of sin? Do I rest in faith alone, in Christ alone, as the cause of having a life free from the control of sin? Programs are great. Discipline is great. Those things work for a little while. But freedom is found in faith alone, in Christ alone. Fourth question. What differences are there in my life since coming to know Jesus? Now, if you were saved yesterday, that list may not be very long. If you were saved decades ago, it ought to be a pretty long list. What has changed since you came to know Jesus? Last question. How is God leading me to pursue holiness? And am I resisting his work? How is God leading me to pursue holiness? And am I resisting his work? 
read a little story this week about sunflowers, and I'll leave it with you at this. It is a beautiful flower that we often see all over this part of Texas. This story went on to share the reason why sunflowers are called sunflowers. It's because they follow the sun. The sun rises into the east. The sunflower will point to the east. As the sun sets in the west, the flowers will point to the west. Sunflowers are prolific. They throw off lots of seeds. And they're productive because they're always looking for the sun. They always locate the S-U-N. And because they're always looking for the S-U-N, they're always growing. When you and I look for the S-O-N, like the sunflower looks for the S-U-N, then we will find the effects of his light softening our hearts so we can throw off new seed and grow in new life. We have that abiding relationship that we are called to with the S-O-N, that we are to always be looking for the S-O-N. And when we will continue to look at the S-O-N, it will result in the transformation that Paul calls us to in Romans chapter 6. It will result in growth that so many of us are looking for, that Scripture promises. But you've got to look for Him. Father, have your way now at this time. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our